Lukutei Svichais, Parshas Bamidbar, Beis Sivon. It's known that the portion of Bamidbar, the story of Sinai, is read before Shavuos. As every Torah portion has a connection to the time it is being read, it's understood that the connection here is essentially in preparation for Shavuos, for Matan Torah as opposed to Parshas Nitzavim, which is sometimes read before, but usually read after Shavuos, and is more relevant to Matan Torah itself. This year's, the Sicha was said in the year 1966, Tovshin Chavov, on Beis Sivan, which was on Shabbos, Parshas Bamidbar, and the Sicha states, these, this year's established calendar dates highlight the connection more fully, as Beis Sivan is the day on which Bamidbar is actually read. On this day, explains the Mogin Avraham, Moshe said to the nation, sanctify yourselves in preparation for receiving the Torah, or as the Altareb explains it in the Shulchan Aruch, in the laws of the festival of Shavuos that follow on to the conclusion of the laws of Pesach, that there is a custom not to fast or say Tachnon from Rishchidosh until the 8th of Sivan, certainly until Shavuos is out, for immediately following Rishchidosh, Mesha began to help the nation prepare themselves for receiving the Torah. And as every year on Shavuos, this is the time of our receiving the Torah, as God is actually giving it to us each year anew, but with a greater revelation, even than the year that preceded this one, as the Alter Rebbe describes in Igeres HaKedosh, in Epistle 14, regarding the level of divinity of Kedosh HaElyon, Supreme Holiness, that year to year anew and renewed light is experienced on Rosh Hashanah, clearly then in preparation for receiving the Torah, anew in this year, we need to prepare just as we did the first time. To understand then the particular connection of Parshas Bamidbar to the beginning of preparing for Matan Torah, the Beis Sivan preparations, we need to look more closely at the explanation in this halacha not to fast and not to say Tachnun on these days. The Altarebbe writes, V'noyagin b'mdinais elu, it's customary in these regions not to fast and not to recite Tachnun from Rishchidosh until and including the eighth day of the month. In other words, including the day following the festival, the day known as Isruchag. For immediately after Rishchidosh, Moshe began to prepare the people for receiving the Torah. On that year, Rishchidosh fell out on a Monday. On Tuesday, Moshe conveyed God's, God's words, You will be unto me a kingdom of priests. And on Wednesday, He Moshe spoke the divine commandment that they must observe a boundary around the mountain, saying, Guard yourselves, lest you ascend the mountain. And on Thursday, Moshe told them, Mitzvah's Prisha, 
the commandment for husbands and wives to separate that day and the next, and to ready themselves for the third day, which would be Shabbos, and the day on which the Torah was given. It's unclear here is the reason that only the Alter Rebbe in his codified law, from all commentaries, presents as proof that Moshe was preparing them for Matan Torah, the words from Pasuk Vav in Parshas Yisroi that describes Matan Torah, Va'atem tiyuli mamlachas koyanim, you will be unto me a nation of priests. A lot of things were said by Moshe on that day, on Beis Sivan, the second of Sivan, all said as an introduction to the giving of the Torah. And beginning with the words that we read in the verses in Parshas Yisrei that precede Pasuk Vav. The words, So shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, a reference to the women and then the men of Israel, You've seen what I did with Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to me. Even if we want to suggest that the Alter Rebbe seeks to bring a proof from verses that reference the present and the future to say that Moshe was preparing them for Matan Torah and not just suffice with words that reflect what had already been, well then there are the words in the verse immediately preceding Pasuk Vav, the words in Pasuk Hey that tell us that if you will observe my mitzvahs, you will be for me a special nation from among all the nations. Additionally, the meaning of is twofold. The Ramban explains the words to mean you will be an actual nation of priests in service of God, cleaving to a Kel Kodesh. The Mechilta explains these words telling us that the entire nation was worthy of eating from the holy sacrifices. In fact, the Baal Haturim, the famed medieval commentary, and Halachas says, worthy of all being high priests. On the other hand, Rashi explains the words as sorim, as ministers. It would seem that the first explanation of the Ramban, that they would minister to God, the work of the temple, is far more suitable to the idea of receiving the Torah, devoting themselves, devoting oneself to Torah, to the fulfillment of Torah mitzvahs. And Rashi's explanation and others too explain as Rashi does. And it's puzzling. How does being a minister reflect our receiving and being involved in Torah? As well, Pasuk Vav concludes with the words, following the words, Va'atem tiyuli, mamlechas koyanim, the final words are, Vigoy kodesh, and a holy nation. You will be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Yet the Altarebbe does not quote the last words and only refers to them with a Vigoymer, which is an abbreviated way of saying, then the verse continues. But the Altarebbe essentially obscures those words. Perhaps we can explain this all in the following way and with prefacing the following discussion. 
It's difficult to understand why Rashi doesn't explain the word kohanim as priests, particularly as earlier on in the Torah portion of Ayigash, in chapter 47, Perak Mem Zayin, Chavav, verse 22, when the Torah tells us that the land of the priests, the kohanim of Mitzrayim, did not get sold to Pari during the famine, Rashi explains the word kohanim to mean those who minister to deities, and says every time we have the word kohen, it refers to one who ministers to a deity, unless the word is associated with another word that is more of a place, or that's the name of a place, like kohen midjan, which would then mean a governor or a minister of midjan. So the resolution here would be that there was that were this simply explained, as Rashi explains it in Vayigash, then the concluding words Vigoy Kodesh would become incomprehensible. As the entire purpose of what Rashi says a Koyan is, then is to be separated, sanctified in the work of divine service. As the verse in Divraha Yomim and Chronicles, Pasuk Yud Gimel and Perakhov Gimel describes the work of the Koyanim. Who Uvanov Arain was separated to be sanctified as most holy, he and his sons forever. So the additional words of Vigoy Kodesh tell us now that Mamlechas Koyanim in this verse does not mean sanctified in the service of God, as Rashi typically explains it as a Mesharis, a servant to God, as a Koyin. And so Rashi concludes here that the meaning must be ministers. Accordingly, the verses in Yisrael follow one another, in fact, in an ascending order, in ascending order quantitatively, or quali- rather qualitatively. In Pasuke in verse 5, the words, V'yisem li segula mikola amim, ye shall be to me a treasure from among all the people, Rashi explains segula to mean an etzer chaviv, a beloved treasure, separated out from all the nations. Beyond that, Rashi explains that as a mamlechas koyanim, we are sorim, ministers or princes who ensure the sovereignty of the state and the welfare of our nation. And then there is the additional quality of v'goy kodesh, a nation elevated completely beyond anything or anyone that is not holy, a nation holy to God, just as we understood the word koyen in its simplest form, sanctified to God. Each of these reflect another level in man's divine service. You will be unto me a treasure from amidst all the other nations, speaks to the choice that Hashem makes in choosing B'nai Yisrael at Sinai at the time of giving the Torah. Real choice is always in the purview of the one choosing. It's disassociated and disconnected and not a result of a quality in the one chosen. God's choosing of the nation of Israel, God's choice of the Jewish nation flows from a level that is, or from a place that is so transcendent that darkness in that space obscures nothing. As darkness, so is light. 
It isn't a choice of a difference of a difference between a Jew and a non-Jew that serves as a reason for God's choice. As Rashi explains, Am Segula, don't think you alone are mine, that I have no others beside you. But it's simply the choice God makes, that the other nations become like naught in his eyes. And thus I have, says God, a very special love for you. This is then returned with the service of the Jew, which can manifest in two ways. One is the way we serve God in our day-to-day things that we do, doing them for the sake of heaven, and even beyond that, seeing and revealing godliness and bringing godliness into all that we do. The second is the service of the study of Torah and fulfillment of mitzvahs which is like the difference between Kehanim, who serve as sanctified to God, the Goy Kodesh element of our service, and the service of Malachim as Sarim, ensuring the sovereignty of God on earth through our actions. The study of God's Torah and fulfillment of God's commandments is the Jew separated from the world, and devoted to their life's portion in complete sanctified service of God. Hence, a goy kadesh, a holy nation, God's devoted servants cleaving to God through Torah and mitzvahs. Then there is the divine service and the permitted but day-to-day existence of a Jew. We are kol ma'asecha l'shem shamayim and b'chol All of a Jew's intention is that his actions be for the sake of heaven and revealing godliness, yet they are ma'asecha and drochecha, the actions and paths of man. It's day-to-day living in a way that is permissible, only dedicated to the sake of heaven. And as such, we are sarim, ministers, upholding the sanctity of the world with our actions. This latter divine service is not about being apart from the world, but rather, it's about acquiring sovereignty over the physical world and guiding it so that the physical is used for the sanctification in God and becomes recognized as divine and even transformed and refined into godliness itself, physical vessels for a godly purpose. The overall dual path of divine service exists as well in the particular path of Torah and Mitzvah itself. One may be learning Torah and observing the commandments in order to cleave to God, to be close. Because as the Alter Rebbe teaches in Tanya Perak Dalid, real closeness only exists when one does what Hashem asks of us. Each of the 248 positive mitzvahs reflecting the Evarim de Malka, the very limbs of the king. And with the observance of a mitzvah, one embraces the king. In this path, one strives to be a servant of God and separate from the world, the Goy Kodesh experience. Then there is the path of Limud Torah and observing mitzvahs to conquer the physical body, to inform the animal soul and to thereby transform the world from a physical mundane place to a dwelling for God in this lowliest realm. Towards this goal, we look at how the deeper intention of Rashi in explaining Mamleches Kayanim as Sarim ministers 
and not as his usual explanation, Mishor Se Hashem, servants of God. The Gemara, in the Tractate of Shabbos, in discussing the events of Matan Teira, tells us that when Moshe went up on the mountain, the ministering angels came before God with a claim. Master of the universe, they said. What is a human being, born of a woman, doing among us? And God answered, He came to receive the Torah. To which the angels responded, This precious Torah hidden away here, you wish to give to humans? What is man that he deserves acknowledgement at all? Rather, give this glory to us in heaven. Hashem then said to Moshe, Respond to them. And so Moshe said, God, the Torah you're going to give me, what is written in it? And Moshe continues, I'm the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. And Moshe asked the angels, Did you descend into Egypt? Were you enslaved to Pari? Why does the Torah belong with you? Again, he said, what's written there? Rhetorically answering, You shall have no foreign gods. And Moshe said to the angels, but you don't live among nations. In this manner, Moshe rebutted the claim of the angels, answering them through all the Ten Commandments. You do no work. You don't engage in commerce. You don't have parents to honor. You don't experience jealousy and don't possess a Yetzirah. And so the angels agreed that Moshe was right and that God giving the Torah to humans was right. Clearly then, the purpose of giving the Torah and mitzvahs wasn't for the Jew to become separate from the world, separated from work, separated from commerce, angel-like. But a mitzvah is about this world being involved with the nations of the world, being in this world, for real Yetzirah and all. And yet to simultaneously serve as ministers who have sovereignty over their midas, one who takes control over his inclinations and his environment, thus fusing the world to godliness. This is depicted in the work of Kol Ma'asecha, all your actions or doings, and Bechol Drochecha, and in all your paths. This is what, in a general sense, Matan Torah is about. And it's why there's an advantage in the study of Torah and observance of mitzvahs after Matan Torah over before Matan Torah, when the Avais, our forefathers, kept the Torah, even before it was given to our people. Our forefathers didn't study Torah and observe mitzvahs in order to purify or change the physical reality. They did so to unify with God. As our sages teach, our forefathers were one with the will of God, serving as a chariot for God's desire. As the Alter Rebbe teaches in Tanya in chapter 23, Perk all their limbs were holy and separate apart from this world, from this physical world. They were a Merkava completely to God's supernal will all the days of their lives. And it's why they chose work, 
so to speak, their life paths were as Ruyat saying, they were shepherds, so they could remain separate from this world. This is why Rashi concludes that in Hashem's words regarding the service appropriate to Matan Torah, the level of service of Sarim, ministers, is the appropriate service to this experience, and only following Matan Torah would we be at the level of Goy Kodesh. And we understand this as well in the Al-Tarebbe's teaching in the Shulchan Aruch, when the Al-Tarebbe says that immediately after Ashkodesh, Moshe began to prepare the nation for receiving the Torah. The Al-Tarebbe quotes the verse of Bishlishi B'Shabbos, Omar Lohem ve'atem tiu li mamleches koyanim. On the third day, Moshe gave over to them God's words, and you will be unto me a nation of priests. And the Altarebbe omits the words Vigoy Kadesh and only alludes to these words with Vigoymer. The Altarebbe is highlighting the point that Vaatem Tiuli Mamlechas Koyanim, you will be unto me, a nation of priests. And what that means is a separate level of divine service. And it's what Matan Torah, God giving the Torah in Sinai, is all about. Goy Kadesh, a holy separate people, is another level of service, an additional level of service, one that brings the former Mamlechas Koyanim to the next level of divine service and to its completion and wholeness. Accordingly, we can talk about the connection of Beis Sivan and the portion of Bamidbar. In this parsha, Torah predominantly counts the nation. In fact, Chumash Bamidbar is also called Chumash Apkudim, the Chumash of the counting. Specifically, three counts are spoken of. At the beginning of the portion of Bamidbar, the nation is counted, with the exception of the Levium. Then, Shevet Levi is counted individually, all males from a month up. And at the end of the Torah portion, the children of Kahos from the tribe of Levi are counted from age 30 and up. The ones counted were worthy of carrying the vessels of the Mishkan. We can posit that these three countings represent the three levels we talked about. And you will be to me a treasured nation from amongst the nations. You will be unto me a nation of priests and and a holy nation or a holy people. In the Shalah it is written, Counting the Jews transformed them into an entity whose value is seen by number, not by differentiation, but by number. A Jew cannot be differentiated from another creature. Our value exists only because God attributed value to us out of love for our nation. Or, as Rashi states in the beginning of Bamidbar, God counts and recounts our nation because of his love, or to let us know his love. As Rashi states in the beginning of Parsha Shmois, counting us thus determines our chosenness. But then the Pasuk says, but don't count the tribe of Levi. This is a different count. Don't count their number among the nation of Israel, because the tribe of Levi has a separate classification among the people of the nation, and were thus counted from the age of one month. From that youngest age, a Levi is a guardian of holiness, the experience of Mamlechas Koyanim. 
And then there is the third count of the families of the tribe of Levi, Merori, Gershon, and Kehas, from ages 30 and up. Specifically in our Parsha, it's the family of Kehas that is counted, they who carried the holy vessels of the Mishkan, the carriers of the Mishkan. This is the experience of Vigoy Kodesh, sanctified in the service of God, counted specifically for the service in the Oyel the inner sanctum. Depicting yet another aspect to this count of the family of Kahas, whose counting represents Goy Kodesh. We said that the essential preparation for Matan Torah was Va'atem Tiyuli Mamlachas Koyanim, ministers. And this is actually experienced in the novelty of this separate count of Bnei Levi. You see, taking a census of the nation isn't happening in our Torah portion of Bamidbar for the first time. This is the third time Torah speaks of counting the nation. Neither is counting the family of Kahas happening for the first time. And it's not unique to the family of Kahas, neither the age of those counted, nor the reason, for they will be the bearers of the vessels. In fact, all of Levi was counted from age 30, and counting Bnei Kehas in, the midbar, in Bamidbar only serves as a forerunner to counting Reish Bnei Gershon Gamhim, counting the sons of Gershon, them too, in the next portion. Unique in our Torah portion of Bamidbar is the counting of Levi in terms of their service, they who would replace each firstborn of the nation. The firstborn in a family is halachically in a position of authority in a family, and thus receives a double portion of a father's inheritance. The Levim took on the responsibilities of the entire nation's firstborn. So why this unique count of the tribe of Levi in the portion of Bamidbar? To emphasize the essential purpose of Matan Torah, the service of the Atem Tiyulimam Lechaz to be ministers of this world, transforming it into a place that is a dwelling for God. And when each year anew we recall the event of Matan Torah, preparing for receiving the Torah, as a minister who cares for the world and guiding it into a space of godliness away from its attachment to the physical, we can, as the Levium did, we can prepare ourselves straight into a redemption and a third base amigdash. A Jew is a minister and sovereign over every physical thing and can even, as the Maggid of Mezrich explains, minister to the ministering angels themselves. This divine service, while we are yet in exile, allows us to be sovereign to all nations as we prepare with joy and with imminence to receive the Torah, bringing us very soon the opportunity to learn Torah Seishel Mashiach, the Torah of Mashiach. When Hashem will rule al kol the entire earth that now conceals godliness, it will then reveal godliness. V'hoisa la Hashem hamlucha, earth's kingship will be God's.